Section 23 of Claimants to Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Fraser. Claimants to Royalty by John H. Ingram. The False Demetrius the Younger of Russia. Demetrius the Younger of Russia, A.D. 1632 to 1653. The account of this unfortunate young man is as romantic as any novelist could possibly desire. Its full details are probably only to be found in one work, and that one a work of great rarity and antiquity, by Jean-Baptiste de Rocolle, historiographer of France in the latter part of the 17th century. The recital of Monsieur de Rocolle acquires greater interest from the fact that he himself derived a portion of his particulars from eyewitnesses, including the account of the hero's death, which was witnessed by an Austrian colonel named Bertrand. According to the most reliable accounts of the defeat and overthrow of the second false Demetrius, his wife Marina was cast into prison, and their infant son, only three years old, publicly hanged. If this were true, and the following history veracious, the Tsarina must have given birth to a second son whilst in captivity. But there does not appear to be any historic evidence on the point. The pretender always styled himself the son of the Tsar Demetrius, not, of course, in any way admitting that there were two pseudo-Demetriuses. The time of the confusion, as it is styled in Russian history, was fruitful in the production of such impostors. Besides the two more important claimants already spoken of, and the man whose story claims this chapter, another false Demetrius was started, under Polish protection, in 1611, and a short time before that, a claimant to the title of Tsarevich Peter appeared, and alleged that he was a son of the Tsar Fyodor I, but after some short-lived success, both perished. According to the account of de Rucol, the Tsarina Marina, when thrown into prison by the murderers of her husband, escaped maltreatment by alleging that she was enceinte. This excuse was sufficient to preserve her from the terrible fate which befell many of her female attendants, but she was carefully guarded henceforth by her captors, who only waited for her child's birth to immediately put an end to its existence. Well aware of the fate, which awaited her unborn babe, the ex-Tsarina procured the body of a dead infant, and at her accouchement had it substituted for the male child which she gave birth to. The newly-born boy was confided to the care of a Cossack woman, the mother of the dead babe, and was duly baptised Demetrius by a priestly confidant, and indelibly marked on the shoulder with a cross, to enable its royal birth to be proved when the opportunity arose. Some little time after this, Marina found herself dying, and on her deathbed she confided to her attendants the stratagem by which she had preserved her son's life, and by them the secret was retold to the Poles, who, four or five years later, came to Moscow with General Stanislas Solskonsky. In the meanwhile, the Cossack, to whom young Demetrius had been confided, and who brought him up in ignorance of his paternity, died without having an opportunity 
or at all events availing herself of it, to reveal the secret of the boy's birth. The year 1632 arrived, and the youthful Demetrius had nearly attained his twenty-sixth year. Going one day by chance to bathe in a small river in the vicinity of the little town of Samburg, in Black Russia where he lived, another bather drew attention to the marks on his shoulder, and upbraided him for coming to bathe with honest men, deeming that he had been branded for some crime. The poor young man endeavoured to excuse himself by protesting that he had been born with this cross on his shoulder, as, indeed, he believed he had. And upon his companions examining the marks, they perceived that, though they were legible, they were quite different to anything they had ever seen upon the body of a malefactor. The story of the strange cross upon the young man's shoulder was soon noised about all over the neighbourhood, and, coming to the ears of John Danielonsky, the royal treasurer, he desired to see Demetrius. A number of his domestics were sent after the unknown, and he was soon found and taken before the grand official, where the poverty of his attire and the wretchedness of his condition were apparent to all. The treasurer, having some presentiment or knowledge of the way in which the young Demetrius had been marked, spoke to the young man kindly, and bidding him cast off all fear, asked to be allowed to see the said figuring upon his shoulder. The unknown, who was of handsome form and features, drew open his poor vest, and, bearing his shoulder, showed the marks which had been tattooed upon him at birth. Danielonsky was enabled to trace the cross, but could not decipher the letters of which it was formed. A Russian priest, however, being found, he quickly read them, and affirmed that they stood for Demetrius, son of the Tsar Demetrius. The joy of the treasurer was immense at having discovered a son of the late Tsar. He kissed the hands of the astounded prince, wished him every happiness, and placed all that could be wished for at his disposal. The joyous tidings spread in every direction. A courier was at once dispatched to Vladislas IV, who was then king of Poland, and the young man's claims bruited about everywhere. Vladislas, only too glad of an opportunity to annoy Alexis, the then Tsar of Moscovy, sent at once for the young claimant to come to his court at Warsaw, and on his arrival awarded him an equipage suited to his presumed dignity. When the pseudo-Salovich appeared at court, decked out in all his newly acquired finery, he excited favourable attention by his handsome looks and kindly behaviour. He contracted a firm friendship with the nephew of the Grand Khan of Tartary, who, having been ousted from his possessions by an uncle, had sought and found an asylum in the Polish court. An apparent similarity of misfortune drew them together, and Vladislas, doubtlessly finding it suit his policy to encourage their pretensions, treated the two young men with every kindness, and protested that he regarded them as sons, he not having any of his own, and declared that he would not leave anything undone to replace them upon their respective thrones. Intelligence of the arrival and friendly reception of Demetrius at the Polish court was not long in travelling to Moscow. The Tsar was greatly enraged when he heard of what had occurred, and sent an envoy to Vladislas, to demand that the person of the Swadison Sarovich should be given up to him. The Latin address which the Moscovite ambassador delivered to the Polish king 
when he made his demand, is still preserved, and is chiefly remarkable for the hundred and one titles by which the Russian monarch was designated. Vladislas responded to the wearisome harangue in the same language, to the effect that no consideration would induce him to hand Prince Demetrius over to his rival Alexis, and he took no pains to conceal from the envoy that he meant to support the claims of his guest as far as lay in his power. The fruitlessness of this mission gave great unease to the Tsar, and caused him to seek out every possible alliance. Fate soon assisted him. In 1648, Vladislas died, and was succeeded on the Polish throne by John Casimir, who, having to fight with Charles of Sweden and other European powers, found it necessary to secure the neutrality of Russia. He was, therefore, obliged to banish Demetrius. The unfortunate man at first took refuge in Ravel, in the little republic of Livonia. The magistrates and principal citizens received him with regal honours, but, on their refusal to deliver him up to the Tsar, were threatened by that potentate with war. Reluctantly, his hosts were compelled to request their luckless guest to seek another asylum, but on his departure they made him handsome presents, and had him safely and honourably escorted to the seaport of Riga. The innocent impostor, as he has been termed, now made his way to Sweden, but political reasons drove him quickly thence, and he next sought safety with the Duke of Holstein Gottorp. He met with a friendly reception, but the fates had timed his visit at a most inopportune moment. The Duke had recently negotiated a treaty of commerce with the Tsar, and while engaged on the embassy, Erkman, one of his envoys, had pledged his master's credit, without his authority, for a large sum of money, variously stated at one hundred thousand and three hundred thousand crowns, for which misdeed, upon his return to Holstein, he was decapitated. The Duke was, or appeared to be, in a state of embarrassment as to the liquidation of the debt, when a Russian agent, who was residing at Lübeck, and knew the value of the claimant to the Russian Tsar, opened negotiations with Holstein's ruler, and, pretending to the only too willing prince that his guest was merely a common impostor, arranged for his delivery to Alexis in exchange for the receipts of the money brought away and owed for by his envoy. This is the common account of the nefarious transaction, but in all probability the whole affair had been previously arranged between the two sovereigns, and Erchman and Demetrius were the victims of the royal plot. Be the truth what it may, suffices to say that the Duke of Holstein seized Demetrius, and delivered him up to the Russian sent to receive him, obtaining in return the bills for the money owing. The unfortunate man was hurried on board a vessel, transported to the Russian coast, and taken thence by rapid stages to Moscow. Directly he arrived in the metropolis, the captive had a wooden gag forced into his mouth to prevent him speaking. It was confronted by an old woman, bribed for the purpose, who declared herself to be his mother, and upbraided him for unnatural ingratitude to her, and his presumption in disowning his parent. Finally, desiring him to avow his misdeeds, and not to let her endure the misery of beholding him executed for his imposture. Averting his head, 
demetrius showed plainly by significant gestures that he neither acknowledged her claims nor heeded them whilst to the priests who addressed him in a similar strain and urged him to confess his imposture he simply responded by uplifting his eyes and hands towards heaven as if resigning himself to its decree the unhappy man was then taken out on the great esplanade in front of the castle of moscow and there executed on the thirty-first of december sixteen fifty three in the forty-seventh year of his age czar alexis was not contented with the mere death of his hapless rival but had his head severed from his body which was quartered and elevated upon four poles whilst portions of his remains were left scattered on the frozen ground as a repast for the dogs the polish ambassador who that same day had audience of the vindictive emperor was conducted to the place of execution and shown all that now remained of the unfortunate being whom his late master had so delighted to honour the biographer of this pseudo demetrius finds no little pleasure in recording that the russian agent who negotiated the sale of our hero met with a miserable death in punishment for causing innocent blood to be shed that john casimir the king of poland who first drove him from his place of safety was obliged to abdicate his throne and that the duke of holstein was despoiled of his domains by his brother-in-law christian v of denmark he moreover records the general opinion that unless the execution of demetrius had taken place as quickly as it did that had it only been delayed for two hours the populace would have risen against alexis to despoil him of his kingdom and place his victim on the throne in his stead it is a somewhat more agreeable pendant to this wretched story to know that the old companion in misfortune of demetrius the nephew of the grand khan of tartary ultimately succeeded to the throne of his uncle and that he seized every occasion of expressing his hatred of john casimir for having abandoned the beloved protege of his brother vladislas End of the false demetrius the younger of russia recording by daniel fraser